You're listening to the Mars Attacks Radio and Podcast Classic Albums Column. Here is your host, Victor. Welcome, one and all, to the latest edition of the Mars Attacks Podcast, the Mars Attacks Classic Albums Column. This is episode 73 of the podcast. And for this episode, we bring you Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. such a big impact back in the late 80s when it was released. Um, Well, initially it didn't make a big impact. It was the following single, Sweet Child of Mine, which sort of kicked the doors open. Uh, I was introduced to the band thanks to Eddie Trunk, living in North Jersey. He was on a radio station called WDHA, and he played the track Night Train, And that was my introduction to the band. 
And I remember loving the track right off the bat, not knowing who they were, hearing it was Guns N' Roses, and found out that a buddy of mine in high school had it on cassette. And it was funny because this guy was an all-out Striper fan. Uh, The last thing I would expect him to have is this great hard rock album, a quintessential hard rock album that is considered by a lot of people possibly the greatest hard rock album ever, a greatest hard rock album of the last mm, 30 years easily. Um, In any event, so I asked, to borrow this from him and I loved it right off the bat I mean back then well nowadays the big thing is you know downloading mp3s whatnot back then first thing I did was copy it onto another cassette we had the dual uh, tape decks as a lot of people did I copied it and it was funny because I lent him two Iron Maiden singles it was the Trooper and Flight of Icarus and had they were cassette singles they had the b-sides the whole nine yards and you know being a young collector and music nerd that I am, you know, I thought he would love this. You know, he would worship it. And he gave it back to me and said, what kind of devil music is this? You know, look at him. He's, this mascot is Bly's, the image of the devil and this and that. And I'm thinking, holy shit, you know, Mr. Striper here all of a sudden is freaking out on me. But in any event, I got to check out Guns N' Roses. Uh, long story short, I was hooked. Uh, right from the get-go. I remember coming overseas here to Spain that summer. Uh, Sweet Child of Mine didn't hit yet. And I remember saying to my friends, Guns N' Roses is going to be huge. Just wait and see. The year before, I'd convinced them that Poison was going to be the band that everyone was going to be talking about that next year. Lo and behold, I get over here. Everyone was dressed up in Poison garb and, and whatnot. Okay, so... Um, I let them know about Guns N' Roses and, you know, the next year that I come over here, it was so funny because the same person or one of the same people that were telling me, nah, no one's ever going to get into this, you know, it's just too heavy, you know, it's not as fun as Poison, you know, uh, it's just too, I just don't know where to place it. Next year, get off the plane, you know. Walk down through town, meet up with my friends. At the time, the town that I live in now was a happening spot. In a one and a half mile strip, you had, um, it was something ridiculous. Up up towards like 90 uh, bars and dance clubs. They were all one on top of one another, one after another. There are a lot of buildings that have been torn down since. And the whole climate has changed because of violence and everything else that came about. Uh, during the 80s, um, umming everyone to death, but excuse me. So that next summer I come back, lo and behold, I catch up to this person that was saying that, you know, GNR, that, you know, they were too harsh, they were this, they were that. Bastard has a good old Guns N' Roses patch on the back of his jean jacket, is wearing a bandana, thinking that he's Axl Rose, cigarette hanging out of his mouth, uh, can't decide whether he's Axel or he's Slash. Uh, so I go up to him and say, so, hmm, I guess, uh, you know, my prediction of GNR taking off was going to happen after all. So <laughs> that's my uh, first introduction to the band. 
what we're going to do with this episode for all of you that are checking this series out for the first time. The Classic Albums column features this podcast plus uh, written comments that were sent in by various people. Um, now, this time around, we were lucky enough to have Lawn Friend, who I reached out to, and he allowed me to go and um, take some quotes from his book. Um, who better than Lon, who was the first person as the editor of Rip Magazine, to really give the band a chance, you know, to give them, and this is funny because this sort of ties into that whole Poison GNR thing, but he was the first person to give them the cover of a national magazine in the States. At the time, Poison was hot, GNR was coming up through the ranks, and someone there at Rip, sort of kept yanking his chain, gotten to Slash's ear that maybe it was a possibility if he called up Lon and sort of schmoozed him a little. And apparently, things turned out well. Um, if you go to the website, marsattacksradio.com, you'll be able to find this quote that I took from Lon's great, great book, Life on Planet Rock, where he details coming in contact with the band, what the album means to him, and so on and so forth. He's someone that was there at the inception of the band, more or less. Well, not at the very, very beginning, but when they were about to come up through the ranks and when this album was about to really explode. Um, so I really cherish uh, Lon being there and allowing me to quote part of his book for this column. Go to the Amazon links in the show notes and buy his book. I bought it for my um, iPod. So you can have the Kindle app, read it directly from directly from your iPod, from your Kindle Fire, or get the harder soft cover book. We have links to Amazon now. So uh, anything that you buy book-wise or whatnot, we get a kickback. So if you're listening to the episode, want to help us out, Click on the link for the book right there uh, on the site, right there on the show notes, and you'll help us out by giving us a little kickback of 10%. There's no increase on your end, uh, so if the book is $9.99, we get you know, 10% of that, uh, which boils down to $0.99, cents more or less. We get almost a dollar out of that, and you don't pay anything additional. So uh, if you want to help us out, Please go ahead and do that. Anyway, back to the albums column. So we have Lawn Friend. We have Bumblefoot, Ron Bumblefoot Thal, a current member of the band. You'll find his comments on there. Uh, coming up next, we're going to kick things off with a member of Steven Adler's band. Uh, his name is Lonnie Paul. And what Lonnie Paul is going to discuss is the impact of this album on him so let's get into the next track off of the album which is obviously it's so easy what a classic track uh, you know a lot of people will discuss a few different things with this album one is catching lightning in a bottle and the other thing is the saturation that this album has received on the radio and almost bringing a lot of these what would be um, cult tracks almost or deep cuts 
bringing them to the forefront. A track like It's So Easy has almost taken on a life of itself. There is an unofficial video for it. And it's a track that is just so killer. I mean, it is something that transcends when it came out. Something that is still relevant today. Sounds fresh today. And I think the entire album does sound that. I think uh, the producer, Mike Klink, did such a great job in capturing a certain sound and feel for the band. So without further ado, this is It's So Easy. And then after that, we're going to get into the interview part with uh, Lonnie Paul from Adler, from Steven Adler's band, Adler. And what we're going to do, we're going to switch things up a little. When we come out of the interview, we're going to play a little music from Adler. So aside from being able to click on links to find out who everyone uh, that is featured in the episode, who they are and where you can find out more about them, uh, you'll actually be able to sample some of their music during the episode. This way, uh, if you like something that you hear, you can go out to iTunes, you can go to Amazon, and you can check the music out. Okay? Uh, so here we go. It's So Easy by GNR. <laughs> Then, um, then years had passed, you know, you, uh, 
I hadn't really listened to it in a while, and then when I had the chance to play with Stephen and, and go back and revisit all these songs, I fell in love with them again, and it reminded me of, of, of why I fell in love with them in the first place. Check that out on iTunes. It's available as a single. That track features not only Lonnie Paul, but features Stephen Adler, obviously, and John Five of Rob Zombie, Marilyn Manson, so on and so forth. Stephen Adler, interesting character, to say the least. Uh, I've read Slash's book, read Duff's book, did not have the time to read all of Adler's book. Wished I would have had the chance before doing the episode. Um, I do wish that he gets over all of his demons. Uh, Someone who a lot of people have argued the fact that perhaps his playing sort of helped put this album over the top. Uh, As a drummer myself, or as a wannabe drummer, uh, out of any instrument that I've played, I would say that the instrument that I've mastered the most has been playing the drums. Uh, I remember being in marching band in high school and reading about Matt Sorum coming into the band and reading about how he had a marching band background as well. So I was like thrilled saying, wow, you know, I have something in in common with the new guy coming into Guns N' Roses. And Adler, Stephen Adler does have a definite feel to how he plays. I do think that 
there's a defining factor in the band again or to the album is the whole lightning in a bottle cliche i think they were all just at the top of their game and not to diminish what steven adler did on the album but i think just the whole conglomeration of everyone that was involved really helped make this such a classic historic album up next we have rock from radioactive metal he's part of the cast iron ring mars attacks podcast is part of the cast iron ring if you go to castironring.com you can find out all about the great cast iron ring shows sorry about the uh, old email notification there that went off anyway Cast Iron Ring, you'll find all types of great shows, including Iron City Rocks. I do have to thank John Kadick from Iron City Rocks because he is the one that did interview Lonnie Paul for the episode. Uh, In any event, uh, Rock is, as I mentioned, from Radioactive Metal. You have Focus on Metal. You have uh, Wiki Metal as well. You have Signal to Noise, you have John Kadick's new podcast, Heavy Metal Book Club, uh, what else? We have the Bonehand Half Hour, and we have the um, ooh, the newest podcast, and I do apologize that I don't know the name off the top of my head. It is called the Weird Ways Rock Show from over in England, and we have Bob Nelbandian, who's working on a documentary on the what is the uh, Sunset Strip and the LA scene and California metal in general if I understand it correctly Uh, he obviously is the host of the Shockwave Skull Sessions and he's also the host of the Shockwave's Hard Radio podcast hasn't been doing them as much because he's been involved in this documentary and a bunch of other projects like his uh, headbanger um the headbanger, what is it, fanzine that he started way back when in the early 80s, and that is now available in the iTunes store as well, so check that out. Uh, anyway, let's get into track number three off of Appetite for Destruction. It is, as I mentioned before, the first track I ever heard by the band. It is Night Train.
right, so Appetite for Destruction. I remember when this came out, uh, I was heavily into thrash, so I remember at first I wasn't going to buy this, but they, much music played, and Music Plus in Quebec played uh, Welcome to the Jungle a whole lot, and uh, the more I heard it, and it's like, well, okay, I think, I think I can, this sounds good, I think, I think I'll buy this, you know, it's, it sounds heavy and stuff, but. I remember first time I put it on my turntable. Welcome to the Jungle did not disappoint. I mean, it was exactly like the video. But uh, then the rest of the songs started coming in. I was like, hmm. Huh. Not sure I like this. It's not as heavy as I thought it was going to be. So I kind of set it aside for maybe a week or two. And um, just so you know, a little background on me is like, I don't like to listen to radio at all. I hate commercials. I hate radio DJs, you know, most of them just get on my nerves. So for some reason, maybe two, three weeks after I bought uh, Appetite for Destruction, I was listening to the radio in my dad's car. And it was on, a, I remember it was a Friday night. I was coming back home from hanging out with some friends. It's like two in the morning and I had the radio on and there was this local FM station that played, had a heavy metal show on Friday nights and I remember they were playing some Testament. I believe it was uh, Trial by Fire from uh, uh, The New Order. And uh, after that, the uh, Night Train by Guns N' Roses came on. And I was like, wow, this is better than I remember it. You know, I, I'm liking this a lot more than I thought I did. So I went back. The next day I went back and I listened to it again. And I... Over the years, I mean, not over the years, over the next few months, I started enjoying it a little bit more. And I have to say that Side 1 is a lot better than Side 2. That's for sure. There's a couple gems on Side 2, but Side 1, for me, is is really good, except for one song. So I'm, I'm just going to go through this, the songs real quick and uh, give my comments. Again, Welcome to the Jungle. It's a classic. I mean, who who doesn't like that that riff, you know? And uh, I love the middle part because I used to be a bass player back in those days, and I love the middle part where the bass is just chugging on, you know. And I I love that part with all the you in the jungle, baby. I love I love that part just because of the bass work by uh, Duff McKagan. I mean, he's a great bass player, by the way. Uh, I think he's underrated. So I really like that one. It's so easy. That's a song I played briefly with in one of my bands. I love that song too. It's got it's got an attitude that I really like. Uh, Night Train is probably one of my favorite Guns N' Roses songs ever. Uh, it's got it's, it's kind of kind of heavy and it's got a it's got a nice groove to it. Uh, really, really, really good. Out to Get Me, I, it's okay. It's an okay song. I mean, it's not my favorite. Mr. Brownstone, I love the groove on that one. That is one badass song. I love the uh, the opening riff. I mean, it's it's a great tune. Uh, Paradise City. Uh, I liked it a little bit back in the day, you know, when it first came out. Before it became a single, I thought it was okay. I thought, okay, it's a decent song, you know. But then the video came out, and then it just exploded all over the place, and I got so sick of that song. I, I still have a hard time listening to it. Not as much as I did back in the day, but, you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of Paradise City. My Michelle, I don't really care for. Uh, think About You, even worse. I really don't like Think About You. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead to Anything Goes. 
it's an okay song. I like the chorus. You know, my way, your way, anything goes tonight. I mean, it's it's kind of cool. Rocket Queen, I do not like at all. Never did. Never will. And uh, go back to You're Crazy. I just love how heavy that song is and towards the middle. There's a, there's a really heavy part in the middle that I really, really love. And you know, I, li- I like the cra- I like the, the, the lyrics uh, of it. It's it's a cool it's a cool tune. But sweet child of mine, of course, it's another one of those songs that they was a massive hit. And you would think I'd be tired of it, but no, I'm not. And the weird thing is, is that I actually played that song in one of my bands, and I've played it probably hundreds of times. I've listened to it hundreds of times, and I still love that song. Um, for the simple fact of the bass work, I love the ba- the bass work that Duff McKagan does on that song. I mean, it's it's a groovy song. It's a he's an incredibly underrated bass player, and every time we played that song in my band, you know, even though our singer sucked, our singer totally sucked, and which is it was it was really bad when she sang it. The music we had it down, and we 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 had it really down, and we were good, you know. And I used to love to play the the, the bass on that song, and um, I remember you know some friends coming to uh, to uh, w- watch us rehearse or whatever, and everybody was like you know they, everybody was always focused on guitars and all the time it's it's always it's, it's, it's just how it is. But I remember uh, when we would play that song, my friends would actually look at me and be like, "Wow!" and, and they had they make these faces like. Okay, and then we'd end the song, and one of them at one point came up to me and said, "Is that were you adding stuff to that song? Were you, uh, you know, is that how that song is really played?" And I was like, "No, I didn't add anything. I'm playing what Duff plays, and maybe here and there a couple little things that I added, but no, I actually, I'm actually pretty faithful to it." And uh, my friends were like, "Wow, I, I need to listen to that song again," and then they got a new appreciation for that song. So, yeah. Anyway, I, I got really good memories of uh, of uh, Sweet Child of Mine and. And uh, uh, it's so easy, especially, too, because the vocalist who we used to play uh, that song with, he passed away, committed suicide at one point. So every time I hear that song, I think of him. And uh, he was a, he was a good friend. So, um, so yeah, I mean, Appetite for Dex- Destruction, good album, good album. To me, it's not stellar, but the first first side is way, way better than the, than the, the second side. And, uh, you know... I guess you know, let me just for fun let's give it a rating. I would say I would give it a seven and a half uh, on the radioactive metal scale. So there you go. You are listening to one of the many great shows featured on the Cast Iron Ring Network. To see all the great shows featured on the Cast Iron Ring, to get download links, find out what's going on, as well as get hooked up with our free iOS app, head to castironring.com. There you go. Little Scott from not Radioactive Metal, that would be Rock, who commented on Appetite for Destruction, but that is Scott from Focus on Metal. Uh, You know, some people say, well, why do you have negative comments or people that aren't totally, you know, 100% into the album? Well, you know, I don't want every single thing to be all-out praise or a home run. You know, there needs to be some sort of debate here. Uh, whether you think someone is, you know, on the money, whether this makes you go back and check the album out, as Rock said, and say, hey, was that album as good as I thought it was? Or, hey, maybe I missed something. You know, the whole idea here is to either, you know, check out an album for the first time 
or go back and revisit an album that you haven't listened to in a long time. That's the entire idea of these classic album series. And all of these albums uh, are important in their own right in the evolutionary chain that has helped form hard rock and metal. A lot of people ask me when I ask for their input, you know, who came up with this list? And the list is basically made up uh, based on comments that I've received from people that I've interviewed. You know, usually we stop the interview or whatever, hanging out at the show or, you know, after the interview is done, uh, we'll chit-chat about different things or whatnot as things are getting wrapped up. And, um, you know, these various albums come up. And some of these albums are obvious, like Appetite for Destruction. Uh, and there are other that are less obvious and that people uh, maybe have never checked out, like the second album that we featured, which was Prong's Cleansing. Uh, if you're unfamiliar how to find out previous episodes that are featured uh, as part of the Classic Albums column, just go to MarsAttacksRadio.com. On the right-hand side there, you'll see a link to the Classic Albums column. And from there, you'll be able to check out every single episode that is featured as part of the Classic Albums column. You'll also be able to find a link to an index which has links to everyone that's involved, whether they've submitted written comments or whether they've actually uh, submitted an audio uh, portion that will be featured in an upcoming podcast. There are some that haven't come out yet. And it may actually give you some insight as to what albums will be featured in the future. So it may be worth your while to check out. Anyway, moving forward. Let's see. We have plenty of great, great uh, comments here. We're going to get into one of the two journalists involved. Not to say that the podcasters aren't journalists. Um I myself wouldn't consider myself a journalist, but I guess it's a uh, you know form of journalism, right? Anyway, let's get into the great author, Martin Popoff. Martin Popoff has all types of great books available. He's doing something similar. I've seen that he's been putting out uh, short books on, say, Van Halen's 5150, the 25th anniversary of the release of that album, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you can check that out and... The books aren't expensive, these quick downloads that he has. Uh, if you go to his website, Martin Popoff, that's P-O-P-O-F-F uh, dot com, you could check out all of the great books that he has uh, on sale. And if not, you could always go to that index page that I was referencing that you can find either, also I should say this, uh, within the actual post that's associated to this classic albums column, you'll find a link over to Martin's page and you can check out all the good stuff that he has available also i purchased a bunch of his books off of amazon as well so uh let's get into the next track off of appetite for destruction and it is none other than out to get me a track that recently lizzie hale has been covering uh with slash actually in concert uh, her band Hailstorm has been playing the track, so I guess at various festivals they've been hooking up and doing the sh the song live. Excuse me. So here we go, a little out to get me, and a little Martin Popoff. <laughs>
Appetite for Destruction, I always thought um, this was a hugely overrated band and an overrated album. Um, literally at the time before it broke and even after it broke, I just considered it another hairband album. People even debate whether Guns N' Roses are a hairband. I just considered it another one of the same. Um, yes, they looked a little dirtier. Yes, it was a little more Aerosmithy than the other albums. But really, I saw no difference between this and, you know, your... Uh, at the time, we used to call it dirty hair metal that was coming up. Skid Row, uh, Sea Hags, Dangerous Toys, um, Outlaw Blood. Uh, who's the other one? Uh, anyway, uh, maybe it was Johnny Outlaw. I'm not sure. But <laughs> basically, um, I never really thought all that much of this album. I didn't really become a, a pretty serious Guns N' Roses fan till Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. That's when I thought they were writing you know, epic stuff and just, and really being superstars at that point. But I think this album is hugely overrated. And I think basically because it sold so many copies and people like simplifying the story, they're basically, you know, that, that thing has taken off like, like sheep and lemmings and has been turned into just such a massive, massive record that it really doesn't deserve. There we go. A little bit more of the Quebecers uh, chiming in with not the um, most positive reviews there. Uh, we have a third Quebecer coming up next. Always oh, so positive, <laughs> these guys. Um, but you got to love Martin. Great author. Uh, got to love rock. And up next we have Mitch Lafon. Before I go on to Mitch Lafon and play a little bit of what he has to, or play his comments, I should say. Um, <laughs> call me off guard, you know. Some of these uh, bits of the episode I haven't listened to since I did the initial interview with with Martin. It's been probably over a year that I've spoke to him. So, you know, I get a kick listening back. A lot of times I do it right before putting my you know, pieces into the episode here. And um, just funny hearing that, you know, whenever you think there's no one that could be out there that will say that Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 are the better album, there you go. Martin Popoff, world-renowned author, has said it. For him, they didn't become stars until Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. What's next? Will someone say that they didn't become stars until Chinese Democracy came out? Who knows? Anyway, up next from the album, a track that all of us have heard a million and one times on the radio, but still love to this day, has such an awesome groove to it, a song that shouldn't be on the radio because of its content and just its it's bad or assery, <laughs> for lack of a better term. This is Mr. Brownstone. <laughs> Mr. 
you know, then you had your the attitude. Listen, I, I saw Guns N' Roses on that tour uh, open up for Aerosmith in Saratoga Springs, New York. And Axel walked off the stage. He threw a bottle into the audience and he walked off the stage. <laughs> and, you know, there was a, a near riot. People started throwing stuff. And, you know, the PA came on and said, listen, if you keep throwing stuff, uh, we're going to cancel the show and Aerosmith won't play. And people calmed down. And then I saw the show uh, on the Use Your Illusion tour with uh, Metallica in Montreal where, you know, there was a big riot and uh, James <laughs> caught fire and stuff. Right. And then I saw another show just before Use Your Illusion came out where the band it was at an outdoor shed and uh, Skid Row opened the show. They went on at like 8 at night and Guns N' Roses came on at 1.30 in the morning <laughs> and played till 4.30 in the morning. Huh. And there was just some bad boy element to the whole thing that was very intriguing. And then musically, they created the perfect songs. Right? I mean, they were they were perfect. And and I and I know I use the term loosely, but they were they were perfect pop songs. You know, they 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 had a a nice little beat. And I know people are going to say, no, you know, Guns N' Roses is a dirty rock and roll band, but face it sweet child of mine was a perfect radio single and <laughs> and a radio singer single by definition is a popular song which is a pop song and you know it was it was just the perfect f you to the pretty boy floyds and the sleaze bees and the toughs of the world that are you know, we were we were navigating through the D list and the E list of of hair metal bands, and this was the anti hair metal, and uh, it's 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 really a shame what Axel and the Guns N' Roses folks have ended up making that band. I mean, you know, Kurt Cobain from Nirvana shot himself in the head and and ended what it was a promising band, and. You know, Axel has done it, but metaphorically, <laughs> and it's 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 a real pity because that band had they stayed together in 2011, they could have had ten albums out by now, and each one could have been better than the next, and that's all gone, and we'll never be able to get that back. So you're a firm believer that that original lineup or the Use Your Illusion lineup will never get back together. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely, because uh, as much as money talks and everybody has their price, uh, I think that that only applies when you're mentally sane. And I don't <laughs> right. think, I just don't think that Axel is in a position where um, dollar signs are going to impress him. I think his anger towards almost everybody overshadows every aspect of his life. And, uh, you know, and, and his continued disrespect of the fans by having shows scheduled to start at 8 and show up at 11 o'clock is, is not something that uh, I, I personally don't think that it's something that Duff or Slash or any of the original guys want to deal with because those guys, to me, seem very courteous and seem very concerned about their fan base. And I just don't think they could, I just don't think that, those psychologies could could blend and make anything work. I, I just don't see it work, you know. 
And I was just going to ask uh, if you thought that we would ever see another Velvet Revolver album. No. No, not at all. For the simple fact that nobody cares. I mean, <laughs> I mean, listen, bands are, bands are a commodity and they're driven by right. uh, supply and demand. And, you know, the reason why um, uh, Led Zeppelin could, could pick up tomorrow and fill out stadiums is because there's a demand. And Velvet Revolver went out and tried to do arenas and tried to tour Japan and tried to tour Europe. And they were getting, you know, 50%. They were getting 60%. I remember in Montreal, they, they played a gig here with um, the new version of Alice in Chains opening up. And, and the promoter had to paper the town. I mean, they had to hand out tickets basically at bars and stuff because nobody cared. And, right. And Velvet Revolver is not a name that uh, incites excitement in a fan base. People go, oh, Velvet Revolver are reuniting. And you go, oh, okay. So, <laughs> and, you know, it's unfortunate. They had, they had some decent music. But it wasn't earth-shattering. It didn't change the world. And, right. and it didn't change the world, and now you want me to believe it with a new singer singing it? Nah. Don't care. Plus, uh, Slash seems very happy. He, he's got a little thing going. Again, it's not an earth-shattering band that's going to change the, the face of music, but it's a very competent, well-put-together band that can do good shows with good albums. And, you know, listen... He's doing as well as he would with Velvet Revolver, and he gets to keep more of the money. So. Does it
Eyes of Love by Eric Carr, late great drummer of Kiss. That was either a demo or something he was working on for a solo project. In any event, you're wondering why, or if you're wondering why that's being included in this episode, it is because Mitch has put a tribute album for Kiss for their 40th anniversary with all proceeds going to um, a healthcare facility that tended to his father-in-law right before he passed away. Uh, If you listen to episode, uh, I believe it's 72 of the Mars Attacks podcast, we talk all about that. And um, actually, no, 72 is where we discuss the KISS covers. Anyway, if you search Mitch LaFon, you're going to see plenty of episodes come up on Mars Attacks. It's always fun to talk to Mitch. And the last one that we did, we talk about the hospice center where... His um, father-in-law went to in his uh, final days. So, uh, great cause if you were part of that Pledge Music Fund. Not sure if you could purchase the original release of that, which looks to be a double uh, CD. We'll see when it comes out to the general public whether it'll be a double or not. But this will be featured. Uh, This track was donated to the cause by Loretta Caravello. Paul Caravello being Eric Carr's real name, and that's his sister who donated the track, so that's very, very cool. And um, apparently she wrote us some type of contract stating that uh, he wouldn't have to pay any type of royalties for using the track. Um, Moving forward, umming you to death again. Let's see. Up next, let us get into a little... Hmm, so many people to choose from, but a band that has just recently put out an album. The name of the band is White Wizard. The album came out this past week, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, The name of the album is Devil's Cut. John Leone, their bass player, uh, mastermind, if you will, had some interesting thoughts about uh, Appetite for Destruction when he commented on Van Halen 2's uh, classic album column. He mentioned that the first Van Halen album and Appetite for Destruction, excuse me, Appetite for Destruction are the quintessential uh, L.A. Strip albums. And a lot of Van Halen fans were pissed off hearing him say that. So I got a chance to catch up with him a little, a little after that when he was here in Spain, uh, this was, I guess, about a year ago, and I sort of, you know, yanked his chain a little to see if he would uh, mention a little more about Apathy for Destruction, and he's never been one to hold back on his words, and he's gone ahead and provided us with some more interesting comments. So let's get into the next track off of Apathy for Destruction. This is the hugely popular Paradise City. After that, we'll get into John Leon and uh, Giovanni Durst. I know he commented on the Slayer album. I don't remember off the top of my head if he also commented on Appetite for Destruction, but here we go. Take 
Would you have figured that so many people, so many Van Halen fans, would have been temper- temperamental about your comments regarding uh, Van Halen 2? The guys were, were temperamental about it. They were pissed off that you compared uh, Appetite for Destruction with the first Van Halen album and, and more or less saying that it, that those two albums were the quintessential uh, L.A. hard rock albums. I think so. I still would stand by that. Um, you know, if Van Halen fans don't like Guns N' Roses, then, you know, I mean, whatever. I'm more of a Van Halen fan. I mean, I like Van Halen. I like 1984 better than all those albums. I personally think 1984 is unbelievable. You know what I mean? Just, I love that record. There's albums that I like more, but there's also, you just have to, even though you don't like something, right? like even my favorite bands, like, I know what their masterpieces are, but they may, I may not like those albums. Right. Just like, like with Rush, like 2112 Moving Pictures, those are their, the two best albums they ever did. I, I can tell you right now, just from a fan, I know those are their masterpieces, but I kind of prefer Permanent Waves and Caress of Steel and some of these other records that may not be their masterpieces, but I just like them more personally. You know what I mean? And I think with Van Halen, you can't argue that Van Halen and Guns N' Roses, those albums, in my opinion, really one and two, you can kind of lop them together, really. Right. Um, those first two Van Halen's album, albums, and really those first couple Guns N' Roses albums, Lies and Appetite for Destruction, they, they fucking, they shook the foundations from L.A., man, like more than any other bands ever did from L.A., in my mm-hmm. opinion. Motley Crue came close, but they really didn't hit stride till you know, I think a little later, but I don't know if they if they had as much impact with their albums. I think they, the, the, the Guns N' Roses, I mean, Appetite for Destruction, Say What You Will About It and Say What You Will About the Band, that album, I mean, still, to this day, in L.A., I live there. People just fucking are crazy about that record. They just, people think that's the greatest record of all time in L.A. There's just so much still resonating from that album that not many albums that have come out have had that much power and that much lasting appeal. I mm-hmm. personally think the album's genius. I think it's amazing. I mean, I'm not crazy about the band, per se, and I think that their songwriting afterwards was kind of, you know, hit or miss. But that was where the stars aligned, man. I mean, yeah. Van Halen had much more consistent releases after that. So you could argue, in, in the grand scheme of things, Van Halen ended up launching much more impressive music after that as a whole, as a career. So naturally, Van Halen had a much more impressive career. And you're talking about one album, really, versus you know several when you really think right. about it. But when you when you take a step back and you look at how impactful a single record was from Los Angeles, I can't think of another two records in this genre that were more impactful than the first Van Halen records in Appetite for Destruction. So you know, regardless of how I feel about them, are they is Appetite for Destruction and Van Halen two my favorite LA albums? No, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> right, right, they're, right. They're, they're, those are two different arguments, right? I mean, yeah. I think Fair Warning's probably I, I like that more than Van Halen two in some ways, but I, I love Van Halen two too. Those are my three favorites: two Fair Warning and 1984. Right, but that's a whole other argument. You could get Van Halen fans in a room and women and children first, fuck that, or you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. You could you could have that argument for yeah. fucking days, right? And you've got the Van Hagar people that think the first two Van Hagar albums are the best thing. So, you always have opinions in this genre, and that's that's what makes it kind of funny to me. I mean, that's that's why people are passionate, great. But I think you also, if you're asking the question not from a passionate like what do you like standpoint, but what did that album mean for music, right. then you you can't argue you can't argue against Appetite for Destruction being one of the couple most important albums to come right. out of Los Angeles that had an impact in the music scene around the world. Right. Well, right. figure that album has sold more than Kiss's entire catalog. One album. So, 
and we're talking about an, a band that's been around for over 35 years, has sold uh, more gold albums than anyone in the States, and Appetite has still sold uh, more than their entire catalog put together. No question. I mean, obviously, if you're comparing bands, if Van Halen fans are like that hate Guns N' Roses or pissed because of that comment, well, dude, like, <laughs> you have to be able to associate yourself from your emotional attachments to music yeah. and, and, and be a critic. Because those are two different things, man. Yeah. They really are. When you're critiquing what, what an album has done on its whole and how it's affected things and its timing of its release and everything, you have to look at the big, the big picture. Yeah. And Van Halen 2 and Van Halen 1 when they came out, I think had a similar impact. They had a worldwide explosion that Van Halen just were fortunate enough to, I think, have better timing and also have less issues. I mean, they ended up having issues, but they managed right. to make much more records before those issues broke the band up. Whereas GNR, you know, they had the tour with Metallica where they acted like assholes, and, you know, everybody, you know, started hating Axel pretty quickly. And, <laughs> you know, the knocking on Heaven's Door cover did get played way too much, and, you know, I started to hate the band after a while myself when they were out. You know? Right. So... I get it. You know, I'm not a huge GNR fan. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I, I don't. I own the vinyl. I don't know the last time I played it. I don't play that album very often. Mm -hmm. but, but I still will tell you right now. Whenever I hear "Welcome to the Jungle," I think that's one of the most well-written songs I've ever heard in my life. And the sound, the sonics, the production on that record's insane. The bass tone on that record, fucking unbelievable. I mean, Duff's bass tone on that record is like insane. The guitar tones, everything about that record sounds huge and sounds amazing. So. Say what you will, the album's a fucking badass record, you know. Just like the Black Album. It's not my favorite Metallica album, but there's no denying that it's a production masterpiece and that it's a crossover genius record. You know, that's why it is what it is. It's another album that's sold. As much as it has, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because it just crosses over well and it's produced killer and the songs are really good. the track that tracks white wizard the new incarnation of white wizard which will be touring the uk shortly their album the devil's cut has just been released on earache and century media who've combined uh, a few months ago 
Anyway, that was originally recorded in November of 2011. So, uh, time flies. Anyway, up next, Dave Reffitt, an artist that I have to thank for a lot of the guests that appear on these shows because he helped uh, put me in contact with a lot of the people that appear during the classic albums columns. A lot of times I have some requests that I throw them that are impossible to meet, but hey, what the hell, you never know. And actually, uh, today's his birthday, if I'm not mistaken, so if you're listening to this, Dave... Happy belated birthday, because you're either going to hear this in a podcast format or right after tonight's live show. The shows, if uh, you haven't been keeping track, uh, are on markstriegelmedia.com. Depending on whenever you listen to this episode, the stream may still have that same name or not. We'll keep it at that. Uh, Mark Striegel and I have been doing some live shows on Friday nights and branding them as Talking Metal and Mars Attacks Live. Uh, tonight's episode will be Mars Attack Solo, but uh, let's talk about that a little later when Mr. Striegel is on. In any event, the next track up is My Michelle by Guns N' Roses, and then we'll get into the, ep- or the, excuse me, the interview with Dave Reffitt. for Destruction by Guns N' Roses, man, I mean, what can you say about it that hasn't already been said? It's just, that was just such a landmark, groundbreaking album, dude. Like, when that came out, it just, like, people were like, who the fuck are these guys? You know, like, they just, you know what I mean? And uh, there's not a bad song on it, man, and, and there's so many hits, you know, Welcome to the Jungle and Paradise City and all that, and I always loved My Michelle quite a bit. I always thought that was a cool riff, and... um of course, you know, Slash's lead playing on the whole CD is, is killer. Sweet Child of Mine's a great song. You really can't go wrong with anything on it. And um, that's another one of those albums that, uh, you know, they're just so hungry. You know, like, you can hear it, man. Like, they're 
they're determined, dude. Like they're, um, yeah, they just want to kick some ass, and you can hear it. And uh, that would have that would have been a really special time and place to be, you know, at that time when they were just blowing up in Hollywood. There, that would have been cool to see them, like in a little bar someplace, you know. And um, I remember reading a lot about them, and David Geffen didn't want to sign them. He thought they were a bunch of bums. You know, <laughs> you know he thought they looked like homeless people on the street. And there was some intern or something at the label that was like, "No, dude, seriously, you got to sign these guys. You know, you you got to come see them. They're they're going to be they're going to be huge." And he was like, "All right, all right, you know." And finally, they signed them, and they became one of the biggest rock bands ever. So she obviously knew something was right. But um, I, you know, some people don't like, some people didn't like the stuff when they kind of went into the kind of Queen, you know, Elton John kind of territory when Axel was kind of branching out and getting into the piano stuff and all that. But I, I actually love that stuff because, like, with Appetite, you know, they proved that they could do that. They proved that they could be badass, you know, rock and roll. And then with the next one, they showed, you know, they showed that they could do other things. And uh, some of those songs are unbelievable, too. You know, Estranged and November Rain. I mean, those are epics, dude. But, um, yeah, Appetite's always going to hold a special pl- place in people's hearts and and all that, you know. Hell yeah! Hell no! says it ruby avalanche red flood coming off of call of the flame you can look that up as dave Reffitt on itunes or shredding the envelope which is the previous name i'm sure if you do a search for one of the other you'll find it check it out he's got george lynch on there he's got chris poland he's got glenn drover mike mangini real special guitarist great guy what else do you want 
Moving forward, another good friend, Alan Tecchio, former lead singer of Hades, nonfiction, um, Autumn Hour, Seven Witches, Watchtower, bunch of different bands he's been involved in. He's a great, great vocalist, highly underrated, and a good friend of the show. Uh, we're going to get into his comments next. The next track off of Appetite for Destruction, we're on side two. If you had the cassette, we're now on the R side. So, Rock, you forgot about that. There was the G side and the R side. At least it was like that with the cassette. Not sure if the vinyl was like that. I have to pull the vinyl out. So, another thing interesting with the vinyl, if you got one of the early pressings, you know, now you know, but back then, predating the internet, you didn't know that there was an original album cover that was banned. And now over the years, you know, it isn't as big of a deal, I guess. People have sort of uh, mellowed on their stance. You've probably got some uppity people out there that still don't understand the work of art behind it. And um, over the years, you know, people come to accept it with uh, some of the new stuff. When they did the Las Vegas residency, there were bits and pieces um, mixed in with the posters so it was pretty neat anyway up next think about you coming off of appetite for destruction There's a weird story because, you know, there's came out and really didn't break until probably over a year after it was out. Yeah. But I, I remember hearing it uh, at my manager's apartment in New York City and um, I'm just not really getting it. I mean, it sort of looked like Aerosmith. It didn't really sound like anybody in particular. Just the whole bad boy, druggy scene kind of sleaze rock from L.A. It was not my cup of tea. And I really didn't like it. 
to be perfectly honest, I like my Michelle. I like a few songs on there, but over I hated and still hate Welcome to the Jungle. Cannot believe it was a giant hit. Um, but there are some really great songs on there. Um, you know, my Michelle's perfect example. It's probably one of my favorites on that record. So clearly they, they had what it took to become something big. And uh, that record, I know, had sets all kinds of records for sales and whatnot. And, and I get it now. But uh, I still don't like uh, Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> Again, if you like any of these tracks that we're featuring during this episode, you can go to the show notes at the bottom of the post, which is associated to this classic albums column, and you can pick up uh, any of these tracks that you're listening to. We'll have links to the individual songs for within iTunes, for example, or if you want to pick the albums up on Amazon. Moving forward, Mr. Mark Striegel from Talking Metal. For those of you that haven't been keeping score, Mark and I have been working on a new stream called Mark Striegel Media at the moment. Uh, what we have is 24 hours of kick-ass hard rock, metal, punk, and overall rock. Uh, there are talking metal blocks. We're working on putting together some Mars Attacks blocks as well. Uh, what we're going to do for now is the Friday night hours of 9 p.m. Eastern, which is 6 p.m. Pacific, to um, it'll be roughly around an hour and a half to two hours at the most. We're, what we'll do, it, give or take, you know, depending on content, family restrictions and whatnot, um, we'll be doing these uh, Friday nights. And then afterwards, we'll premiere a new episode of the Mars Attacks podcast, in this case, this very episode, you may be listening to it on MarkStriegelMedia.com, or maybe you'll be listening to it off of iTunes, Stitcher, which we've, we've just added. 
you might be listening to it off of Mark Striegel Media from the player. You've downloaded it from there. Or from MarsAttacksRadio.com. Make sure to check out all of those good sites. We're revamping MarsAttacksRadio.com as we speak to sort of bring it up to speed, make it a little bit more user-friendly. Uh, we've added uh, the affiliates links that we mentioned before, and we've added a donation portion. If you can donate a buck or two, that's cool. That'll just help us um, improve what we have here at the show. Uh, what we'll do is we'll reinvest that back into the show and improve the hardware that we have and uh, make the things sound better. If <laughs> I mean, there are probably people out there saying that, well, the guy who's talking needs to sound better. Believe me, we're trying to work on that too. So anyway, moving forward. Mark Striegel from Talking Metal. Go to TalkingMetal.com. Last few episodes, you've heard me featured uh, within the episodes themselves. They've been these live shows that I just discussed uh, put together in podcast format. In any event, what we're going to do is get into the next track. The big hit, the hit that sort of busted the door open for this album, for this band, and to make them one of the biggest selling bands of all time, actually. Uh, This is Sweet Child of Mind. Afterwards, we'll get into Mark Striegel's comments.
thing about Guns N' Roses is that they have sold as a band more albums than Kiss, uh, more albums than than Ozzy, and and it's it's crazy because when you look at the amount of albums a band like Kiss has put out. It, it's just, you know, they put out so many studio records and live records and greatest hits records. I mean, probably 50 albums if you add up all the greatest <laughs> hit records. Um, right. But it's like, you know, Guns N' Roses, here's a band that, that put out so few albums, really, over the course of the last, you know, 20, 25 years or whatever it's been. And uh, I guess 25 years at this point. And they... Um, have outsold just about everybody. I mean, they're they're just uh, sold so many records. It's just mind-boggling, and and most of that is uh, most of those sales come, of course, from Appetite for Destruction, which I think is one of the top ten best-selling albums of all time. If not top ten, definitely top twenty. And there's a reason for that. It's just so awesome. I mean, it's a uh, it. It was this was a band again, one of those bands that made you kind of scratch your head. They were coming from that you know L.A. metal Sunset Strip thing, but yet they were not that. They you know definitely had the punk influence. They definitely had the classic rock influence that some of these other bands may have had, but they didn't encompass into their sound nearly as well. I mean, there were comparisons to the Stones, you know, as as well as Hanoia Rocks, as well as let's say Motley Crue. I mean, and you got all those influences in uh, Appetite for Destruction. Yet they seem to take things even to a darker place. Um, and uh, the thing I remember about this record is I was working in a record store at the time, and I remember like a, a, a you know a thirty-something father coming into the record store with his, like, you know, 10-year-old kid and him buying two copies of the record, you know, one for him and one for the kid. And it just, that that spoke volumes at the time. And it was just another one of those records that appealed to people who maybe don't normally listen to hard rock, heavy metal music, but they just knew it was a great record. And really, every song on that record just is amazing, you know. And I think, actually... You know, as as great as Axel's vocals are, I mean, at least I think they're great. I mean, people, a lot of people hated his vocals at the time. You know, but um, you know, he had that unique passion and and emotion to his voice, and you couldn't imitate him. And you know, he's just one of one of a kind. But you know, that band. I mean, everything from Izzy's songwriting and, and, you know, and Slash's guitar tone. It was definitely a, a joint team effort. And even when you read some of the behind-the-scenes books, be, be them true or false, I, I do think Slash's work ethic had a lot to do with pushing that band ahead and, you know, getting them the early gigs and, and getting them the early meetings with managers. Uh, Slash definitely... I think one of the things Guns N' Roses has struggled with post-Flash is that he's such an iconic, epic-looking figure, his top hat and his hair and the leather pants, and, and he's like a he's he's like an icon, you know, and, and I think that's something that we always uh, associate with, you know, Guns N', Guns N Roses when we uh, think about 
what guns is guns and roses is and what appetite for destruction is. We always see Slash with the top hat, you know, and uh, I just think um, he was a really important part of that band, and uh, just from sound wise to image wise, and despite him being messed up on drugs or whatever, he uh, again was just such an important piece of the puzzle. And a lot of people always single out Axel and Izzy, and you know, he's being so important to, to appetite. But I, I think Slash was just as important, if not more important, than uh, anybody else in the band. And his guitar playing is great on that record. It's sloppy, you know, parts are sloppy, but it, it just fits perfectly with everything that's going on. And, uh, and again, you can't beat Axel's vocals and, and melodies that he came up with on that. It's just a, a truly unlikely commercial pop album, if you will. You know, I mean, it just uh, they took they took risks and uh, it paid off. <laughs> Striegel's Alter Ego. Check that out on iTunes. Again, links to that track. Manifest Destiny off of Sinister Ambassador will be in the show notes for today's podcast. Up next, the person that I say his comments alone are just worth listening to this entire Classic Albums uh, column. I will be putting out episodes when it's all said and done that feature just this person, Gene Hoagland and his comments may do it for some of the others, but Gene commented on every single album 
and his comments are good, bad, and different. He really pulls no punches, and he's got a lot of really interesting things to say. He grew up in L.A., knows a lot of the bands personally that are uh, discussed as part of this classic album series. He's either played alongside them, he's either seen them growing up, uh, or knows a member personally from the band because he's friends or whatever. I mean, he's a multifaceted, in-demand drummer. And uh, this is, let's see, the next track off of Appetite for Destruction is, as Paul Stanley would say, You're Crazy, a song that they later did an acoustic version of on GNR Lies. We'll stick to the electric plugged-in version here. And we'll get into Gene's comments right after. Album that hasn't already been said to better people than I. It was the the Led Zeppelin of Aerosmith, you know, and of of their day. And uh, you know, I mean, top to bottom, that was a killer record. And I remember, um, I remember they released a single of Mr. Brownstone months before the album came out. And I remember picking that up and playing it for a bunch of my friends because that was a great song. What a great riff and, yeah. and totally killer. And so I was a real Nostradamus back in the day because you know, <laughs> all the bands that became really big were all bands that, that I dug or I listened to or I was able to turn some of my friends on. And all my friends always remember like, dude, you were the first guy to play me Nirvana with that Bleach record. You were the first guy to play me Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and Guns N' Roses and you know, Slayer and, and Metallica and all these bands. So, 
So, you know, Guns N' Roses, I mean, it was really obvious. It was really easy to see, you know, hey, this is a band that is actually bringing an edge, some heart in the middle of all this cock rock poison, just garbage coming out of L.A. These guys are kind of trying to fly the, the hardcore flag, and, you know, not hardcore as in punk rock, but hardcore as in, you know, song structure and, and, and uh, song topics and stuff. But, uh, you know, hey, they were, it was cool, man. That was, that was a decent record. I don't mind it to this day. It had a lot of really cool stuff on it. And I, I, I think I've only heard it as an album a few times, and that was back in the day. But, you know, I don't mind it. Um, had a lot of really cool, cool things on it. So uh, I didn't mind them. I didn't, you know, I, they were sure a damn sight better than Motley Crue, I'll tell you that, and Poison and all that other horse shit coming out of L.A. So... So yeah, they have some heart. Good for them. to learn how to play double bass do yourself a favor check out gene hoagland's atomic clock dvd it is just ridiculous how good gene is as a player and ambidextrous and he doesn't know how to read music or he may know how to read music but he's never taken any type of formal lesson or, or whatever it's just 
a sick player and a great, great guy. Spent quite a long time with him over the phone to have him comment on all of these albums. So, let's see. We're, we've got two guests left. And as usual, we always keep the drummers towards the end. Why? Because I think growing up as a drummer, some of the most interesting people around. But we always try to pair Gene and Charlie up. Obviously, over the last few years, Charlie has been in and out of Anthrax due to different reasons. And Gene has covered for him on a few occasions. It's a trip seeing, you know, some of that footage uh, on, up on YouTube with uh, Gene actually playing Charlie's kit and whatnot. So it's pretty cool. Both great, great drummers. Different styles. It's so funny that people always say, well, who's a better drummer? I don't know, especially with drummers, it's a lot different than guitarists or bass players in the sense that it's a lot more physical. So there are things that Charlie Benante can do that I've never heard any other drummer do. And same thing with Gene. There are just different inflections and ways that they play, different feeling and different traits that they have that I haven't heard in other people's playing. And it's funny because you can hear them play other people's stuff and a lot of times it's like what the original drummer plays, but with an extra, you know, turned up an extra notch. So uh, both have done a lot of great covers over the years. Anyway, let's get into another track off of Appetite for Destruction. We've really um, worked things out so that with each track, we've had a different person speaking about the album. So this is Anything Goes... And after that, we'll hear a little Charlie Benante and a little bit of Anthrax.
talk about capturing lightning in a bottle. Think about what that record did as far as uh, hard rock, heavy metal. It reached households that would never have given a listen to that type of music. You know what I mean? I mean, the song Welcome to the Jungle when it first came out was such a great song to open a record with. It was just so, like, uh, it had so much character in it, you know, and and the riff was just unstoppable. But let's face it, when that record first came out, it didn't explode. It didn't explode until later. It took a while to explode. And when it, when it exploded, that was it. There was no stopping it. I love that record. One of my favorite songs on that record is uh, It's So Easy. Sometimes I would just skip over Welcome to the Jungle because I just got so sick of it and just play that song and like Night Train and uh, Out to Get Me and those type of songs. I really like the deeper cuts on that on that album. That record was, it, it captured a moment in time, especially the players. Again, once again, I always say that the players on the on these records was so important to the sound, to the song, to the vibe, the whole vibe of that record, man. It's just killer. classic redone by Anthrax for the Anthems EP that just came out. Such a cool fucking track. All right. So as a kid growing up, my brother's five years older than me. Uh, when I was in kindergarten, I knew Kiss Destroyer, Alive 2, ACDC's Back in Black, Ted Nugent's um, Wango Tango, and Cheap Tricks, Live at Budokan. This track, Big Eyes, was always the song that I wanted to hear on that vinyl album, on that turntable, every day. Big Eyes, Big Eyes, over and over again. So when I found out that Anthrax was putting this out, it just blew me away because one of my all-time favorite bands covering one of my all-time favorite tracks. That song is so influential, beyond belief, just by the, the differences or the nuances and how Bunny Carlos did that originally, that riff during the chorus, that riff influenced thrash beyond belief, just how 
the pattern that Rick Nielsen originally played there. Just a ridiculously cool track to begin with. And it's awesome that Anthrax has released that on that new Anthems album. Little Birdie told me, Little Birdie from up in Quebec, um, somebody who appeared on here, actually has heard that track with a different singer. And I begged him many a times to... uh, (laughs) <laughs> to see if he could play it for me over the phone. And he's a real good guy. He's a sweetheart to all the bands that he really loves and, and that have supported him over the years. And I can tell you this, not for one moment has he ever cracked uh, in saying that, oh, no, 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 I can't play it for you. So-and-so will kill me. So um, I'm not going to name any names. He knows who he is if, if he's listening. And again... I'll never I'll probably never hear it unless there is a some sort of expanded edition of worship music that comes out which in the end I think about it all the time not all the time but I've discussed this with people in the past would anyone buy those unreleased tracks is there really an interest I don't know interesting thing for a marketer to figure out I guess anyway just rambling um, last guest and last track. Rocket Queen is the last track. And the Metal Queen is the person who is going to comment. Doro Pesh will be wrapping things up here uh, with her comments on Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. We're almost at the two-hour mark. And I want to thank everyone for checking in to this episode If you haven't subscribed on iTunes, please do so. Leave your comments on iTunes. Uh, Leave your comments on the website. You can do that within the comments section right beneath the post. Uh, You could also write us input at marsattacksradio.com. Let us know what you think, good, bad, or indifferent. We have people write in all the time, and we're going to start writing or start reading, excuse me, some of the um, listener feedback, excuse me. And um, that's pretty much it. Just remember to go to MarsAttacksRadio.com. Go to the Facebook, which is Facebook forward slash MarsAttacksRadio. Go to the Twitter, which is Twitter forward slash MarsAries2005. There's a Google Plus as well. In any event, just go to MarsAttacksRadio.com. You'll find all the great links there. Go to markstriegelmedia.com to check out the stream that we have up and running for you guys. Plenty of the artists that are featured are also featured on that stream. Remember that Live Through 65, which is who we're using for that stream, the sound quality that we have going actually is better than what you can uh, listen to on Sirius XM. And um, it's CD quality and it's free. So there you go. Uh, What else? Stitcher, if you're on an Android, people have been asking, oh, you have it up on iTunes. We have it on Stitcher now as well. So check us out there. All those great links are up on MarsAttacksRadio.com. Remember to support the bands you love. Very important. If you like any of the tracks that you've heard here, click on the links within the show notes. If you like what you're reading on the site from any of the artists, click on the links that you have there. Find out more about who they are, support their bands, support Lon Friend, listen to his podcast, and buy his book on Amazon, or any of the other authors that we have. 
uh, taking part in this episode. In any event, enough rambling. Thanks again for listening. See you next time right here on Mars Attacks. We're going to leave you with Rocket Queen, Doro Pesh, and a little music from her as well. All right? See ya. I was in LA. We were shooting our video to All We Are. That was a single out of the Triumph and Agony album. And it was my very first time in LA. Usually I was just in New York. And we had a great, great uh, video producer. His name was Mark Resica. And he did like all the videos at the time, like from all the big 80s bands. And he wanted me to come to LA before the shoot to to prepare to see where we would film it. And naja, and then he gave me all kinds of demo tapes. And he said, check this one out. It was a cassette at the time. He said, I love it. And I said, what is it? And he said, well, check it out. And then it was Appetite for Destruction. And it was actually Welcome to the Jungle. And I was like, I was floored. I was blown away by the energy, the energy of Axel Rose, the guitar playing of Slash. But that song, I think Welcome to the Jungle was like unbelievable. I think it, it blew everybody away. And um, actually, I was like, wow. I was I was a big fan of Axel, and I thought he was so cool as a frontman, as a singer. And um, he didn't take any prisoners. It was always like really raw and. High energy, that's what I love in, in a singer, like high energy, 
in um, in any which way. Like even when he sings the ballads, there was always this intensity, and I think it was like uh, it was definitely one of the biggest records of all times, and very unique, very different, more rock and roll kind of, more blues kind of than it wasn't as metal as like all like as all the other bands which were big at the time. And I think that blues feeling, that was like, ah, oh, that was very, very, yeah, very refreshing and, and something like, you know, the combination. And I think they had a great thing going. And, um, yeah, and I was definitely blown away when I first heard it. And I had to listen to the song Welcome to the Jungle over and over and over again. It was unbelievable. It was so addictive. <laughs> Radio.com or subscribe via iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Mars Attacks Radio, on Twitter at Marsaris2005 and Google Plus. For more info, visit the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com. <laughs>